Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Entangled. I'm your host, Jordan Euculus, and today I'm honored to be joined by my friend, Annie O'Connell. In this episode, we discuss the idea of duality, Annie's definition of spirituality, and its relationship to healing. We get into each of our individual spiritual journeys and dive further into the modalities that have been particularly helpful in Annie's journey, such as Reiki healing, acupuncture, and somatic therapy. Please enjoy. So good evening, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Entangled. I am delighted tonight to be joined by Annie O'Connell. Hi, how are you? Hey, Annie. So why don't uh, you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? I'm from upstate New York originally. I've been an accountant for the last 10 years, and my entire life I've kind of been in and out of the spiritual practice and learning more, resisting it, ignoring it completely, and then with I moved to San Diego when I was 24 years old, and that kind of opened me up to the world of yoga and Ayurveda and meditation and things like that, and it really piqued my interest. My life started improving drastically, and then I've been down the rabbit hole ever since then without pause on the spiritual front. That's awesome. So a lot of of questions immediately popped to mind, but one, um, has it been difficult to navigate that you know perceived duality between being a, an accountant and also being a spiritual person it was initially it was definitely something I hid from people unless I was certain they were going to understand what I was talking about and I also come from two parents on opposite sides of the spectrum I have a, uh-huh. my father's a CPA and my mother's a spiritual medium so like I've, I've seen the duality in my own, in my entire life, experience it within myself. I can see parts of both of my parents within me. And I think when I was younger, I was afraid of being weird or being like not taken seriously, especially because mm-hmm. like accountants are very like rule driven and black and white. Like we got the numbers, we just need to know where they go. So I would hide it for a long time. And then like every once in a while, you kind of like stumble across, especially in San Diego, you stumble across some, some other hidden spiritual people in the accounting world or in the business world. <laughs> sure. like, you see each other, you're like, we got to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so over time, I kind of just got more comfortable in my own skin. Also found a lot more of those hidden spiritual people as mental health has come really to the forefront, especially with the pandemic. People are seeking out more and more ways to heal themselves, to feel better. And spirituality has been one of those really common ways to do that. So I think within the last year, I've just been like, you know, I I am who I am. So I'm going to not always lead with that. Not always like cram my spiritual practice down people's throats, but um, just be really open about it and open to answering questions and not holding back. Yeah. So I'm still in the midst of it. I'm not going to start talking to my clients about ancestral healing and things like that, but but yeah, I'm definitely not hiding it anymore. And have you found that it's gotten easier for you to have the confidence to not hide it over time? 
Yes. And I think that is more to do with me feeling confident within myself. So Mm -hmm. as a result of the healing work that I've done, so for me, like spirituality and healing are hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I'm using Mm -hmm. my spiritual practice to heal. I'm healing so I can become more spiritual and in-depth and that kind of thing. So it kind of just, it grows, you know, (laughs) snowballs on itself. And so, yeah, it has gotten easier with time, but I think that's also, that says more to do with I'm just feeling more and more healed and more confident, less insecure, less concerned about other people's opinions, even concerned at all about yeah. them. So yeah, I just, I feel more comfortable in my own skin as a result and more unapologetic about, about who I am. You know, I don't caveat yeah. things anymore with like, yeah. this is kind of weird, but. Right. Sure. Like, yeah. This, this is what it, here you go. This is me. And it's all some kind of part of that virtuous cycle of self-improvement, right? Of just right. good things in one aspect of your life just naturally compound on the other elements within your life. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And you just level up as you go. Kind of, you know, initially I felt like a, a baby giraffe learning to use its legs. And I still feel that <laughs> <sometimes>. <laughs> <laughs> I That's still amazing. have moments of that. But, <laughs> um yeah, I think it's like, yeah, to your point, just over time, just get more confident within it builds on itself. And then following. Yep. So you talked about the importance of spirituality and healing to you. And I think it would be helpful for myself and for our listeners to get your definition of what is spirituality. Hmm. This is an interesting question and one that I've thought about a lot, especially in the last year or so. Because what else am I gonna do? But think about things. I think it's a pandemic, but I think that spiritual practices are, in my opinion, very, very unique to the individual and customizable by that individual. And one thing that my mom taught me when I was growing up, which I found very interesting was you, the goal is to create your spiritual toolkit. So kind of just like, especially when I was getting started, just like kind of wander around and, um, try things on for size, like mm-hmm. uh, on different meditation practices or crystals or plants or like whatever it may be. If it feels right to you, put it in your toolkit. If it doesn't feel right, dismiss it. With that, I think there's a lot of benefits to subscribing to one particular spiritual practice or religion, especially with like kind of committing yourself to something like that. And I, mm-hmm. yeah, I admire the people that do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never really fit for me because I've, I don't fit into boxes quite that easily and so I always Mm -hmm. felt like I'm I'm so restrained like no I just don't want to do it like Mm -hmm. if someone's telling me what to do I'm out so for me I think spirituality is just kind of coming into flow with yourself and whatever makes sense to you Mm. personally and that for me will sometimes overlap your practice and sometimes it'll just it'll be completely opposite but all that matters is that that the individual feels right with what mm-hmm. what's in their spiritual toolkit. And then you can grow that however you want. You can, you can leave it at that. You can leave it at a 10 minute daily meditation, mindfulness practice. And that's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. You can take it super deep into shamanic healing or aliens or whatever you want to do. And that's awesome as well. Um, yeah. I think it really just comes back to being connected to your soul your modalities or whatever you got to do to get yeah. to that. That's beautiful. Thanks. 
So when you say connected to your soul, Mm. what does that mean to you? I think for me, there's something that almost literally clicks into place when I'm connected to my soul. And we talked about the duality between being an accountant and being a very spiritual person. So there's a lot of things in my life that are disconnecting that pretty like frequently. But when I'm in flow, which most often happens when I'm out in nature, hiking or camping or whatever it may be, there's just something that energetically clicks into place. And I just don't feel separate from anything. Mm -hmm. Feel I feel like my energies are aligned. There's nothing frantic going on. My thoughts are centered or they're not somehow not happening at all, which is quite rare for me. I don't feel different from the trees and the dirt and the water and the chipmunks and the birds and tigers or whatever. It just doesn't, it all feels like one, one entity, one being or something like that. And Mm -hmm. nothing, it's like the present moment, I guess. Like Mm -hmm. there's no ruminating on the past. There's no worrying about the future. There's just this present moment. And that's why I know I'm connected to my soul and I'm definitely not an expert at doing that. It's something that I'm still working on all the time is how to stay connected to that because I get knocked, I can get knocked out by city things like traffic yeah. and not being able to find a parking spot or little apartments and having yeah. jobs, you know, like it's, it's definitely like a work in progress, but yeah, I think that's how I would define it. That's great. And I think, you know, a lot of us, really probably all of us are on that same path in terms of trying to find what lets us get connected to our soul. It's just people are at various levels of conscious awareness of that's what it is that we're all looking for. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that kind of just comes back to really the emphasis on you got to do it's what feels right and not not be so focused on well, that worked for my best friend or that worked for my healer. Why isn't working for me? Because mm-hmm. your soul it already knows what is going to work for you. It's just trying to get you to follow it. And I guess that's the other part of being connected to your soul is you're not at war with yourself anymore. You're just flowing and you don't know why you turned right that day, mm-hmm. why you chose that particular yoga studio, why you wound up talking to the person in the coffee shop or something like that. But like, everything just starts unfolding with ease versus resistance or tension, anxiety, anything like that. So you mentioned also the duality of having, you know, one parent who's spiritual, one parent who is also a CPA. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious, and you also mentioned that your mother introduced you and was teaching you about spirituality. So I'd love to just kind of hear about your spiritual path from the beginning. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I've been, people have been asking me this question a lot lately and it it really has encouraged me to look back and think about how it's just always been a presence in my life. Like there was definitely a point when I decided to lean into it in my early twenties, but Mm -hmm. um, I think my mom just being who she is, she's got a native American Mexican background. She's now well, she has been a spiritual medium for clients around 
a small town in upstate New York, like not where you would think you'd find a spiritual medium. And just kind of growing up in that environment where she's accustomed to speaking to spirits and seeing them, things like that. So little kids, their third eye is wide open. There's nothing that told them otherwise. There's nothing that's clouding it. Everything's at face value. And so when I was younger, I would have like, quote unquote, imaginary friends, which spiritual community branches of it definitely believe that that's just a kid speaking, hanging out with their spirit guides, <laughs> like um, they're seeing it, you know? And so I would have these imaginary friends or then I would, it evolved to being like, I'm seeing things in my room kind of thing. And I would go to my mom with it and say, Hey, there was a native American chief in my bedroom last night. Like, And I'm just like playing with toys or something. And she never got scared. She never told me I was wrong. She just asked open-ended questions to one. She was curious. She wanted to know like what's going on in there. And uh, (laughs) she didn't want to shut my third eye down too, because I'm a kid. The the world's going to do that anyway. So she always asked questions like, what did he look like? What color were his feathers? Like things that you ask like little kids, you know, when they're describing something. And then she's, how did you feel? And I was just like, good. I went to sleep. <laughs> like it was very like nonchalant. And then I just like didn't think too much of it. And how old do you think you would have been at this time? Uh, my earliest memories of that particular thing were six. And the only reason why gotcha. I've got that memory is because it was after my grandma died that I started seeing things more and more in my room. And I remember that because I was trying to see her. I was like, well look, maybe I can bring her back. (laughs) And yeah, I kind of just carried on through my life. And then obviously hit my teenage years where it's like, so not cool to have a mom that's talking to dead people. So I'm like, there's weird things happening in my house. I was scared and I didn't want anything to do with it. So I just was like, shut it down. And I told her like, I don't like, I'm getting scared. Like I'm hearing things, I'm seeing things. I'm really uncomfortable. So she taught me how to shut it down. She's like, you don't need to, to be in this world. Like mm-hmm. you can just, just tell them to go away sternly and they will. And they do that growing up with my dad also in the house, like it was definitely of a skeptical mind to start understandably. So, <laughs> but there's some things you just can't deny if, that candle's flying off the shelf. <laughs> like, <laughs> my mom would like not be home and he and I would just look at each other like, yeah, I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he acknowledged, uh, he also had like some people that encountering friends that he worked with uh-huh. come up to him and be like, Pauline did a reading. It was so accurate. Oh, I, there's no way she would have known X, Y, Z. And yeah. So he was like, he like believed her. He believed in it. And he, especially with other accountants that were kind of starting to vibe with it. But there was always that like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was a bit of that. I just, I had a safety net wherever I wanted to go. If I wanted to lean far into the weird spiritual stuff, I had my mom to land on. I wanted to shut it down and start talking about capital markets i had my dad to also lean on for that yeah 
So then you said you really leaned into it in your early 20s. Is that right? Yeah, I think I was 20. Like right after college, I, I had started doing um, yoga for the first time. Mm-hmm. I had done it in like videos or M- like MTV yoga videos or something in the DVD player, uh-huh. but not like a studio. It wasn't really that. I mean, it was Albany, New York, too. So they sure. had just gotten their first yoga studio in like 2011 or 2012 or something. And I liked how I was feeling. I had no awareness of energy, spirituality, my soul, my body. I think I was, I think I probably said I was an atheist at that time. I don't think I ever met the definition of being an atheist, but mm-hmm. I was that, that's how shut down I was to it. And then I moved to San Diego and it was just like this whole new world of everyone being able, they're all doing weird, quote unquote, weird stuff or like everyone's got their spiritual practice. People are like 40 and quitting their jobs and starting their own businesses. Like there was just not the kind of like stringent black and white life that the Northeast can sometimes be. Yeah. And so I think just like meeting people and talking to people, like I started to find my niche a bit. And I I joined a yoga studio to keep myself sane because I had a really intense job at the time. But then with that, with the spiritual community in San Diego, it just branches out to all sorts of different modalities and practices and things like that. I just like started to get to know myself for the first time in my life, it felt like. And I was really curious who I was. Mm -hmm. So I just carried on down that path. And it did start fully on the kind of Buddhist approach to things. But I also did not know what I was doing. I was just doing whatever the yoga studio had had to offer. And then it's over time pivoted to a more of a Native American spiritual approach, which is where I currently land, because um, nature has always made the most sense to me. Even as a little kid, I was always making the arguments for like, why weren't the Greek gods and goddesses, quote unquote, right? Like, why is there only one God? Like, a God of the sun and a God of rain makes a lot more sense to me than just like one. Yeah. So over time, I kind of just sort of stumbled into where I am now. In, in this Native American nature-based practice. Gotcha. gotcha. What were some of the modalities that really helped you along the way and kind of led you to where you are today? Well, I think it started with Reiki. Mm. I was seeing... can, can you explain what Reiki is? I can try. Um... <laughs> 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 you know, I... One thing I've learned about myself is that I don't need words to understand things. I'm like sure. entirely feeling and energy based. So like sure. I walk into a strange woman's yeah. small office and she's waving her hands around me and I feel good. I have no further questions. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but to my understanding, it's kind of like a massage for your energy. So you've got this like aura around you. If a Reiki person tells you anything different, believe them because I'm guessing now, but it's just moving your energy around. It can get stuck in certain places. Uh, It needs to flow in certain ways. I don't really know. I would just go and sit there and this woman, which everyone has their own kind of different Reiki practice, but what she would do, she'd do a lot of guided meditations, which is what's really piqued my interest on the spirit guide and the Native American side that I'm on now. But you do these guided meditations to start and then, introduce 
try to find ways to introduce you to your spirit guides or your spirit animals or to connect or to get messages. And what she was really doing was honing my own medium skills, which I was just along for the ride because I kind of just fly by the seat of my pants and like pick up breadcrumbs along the path, you know? And, yeah. uh, and then, yeah, the Reiki part is just, if you've ever, you know, when you're stressed out or something's really weighing on you, I, I always get like this pressure on my chest. Do you ever feel like that? Sort of like, mm-hmm. like there's like this energetic or like people get it in their, their head, like their forehead or their throat or something like that. That to me is what makes me go to Reiki. I'm like, okay, there's energy stuck here and it needs to move. And I've worked out, I've meditated, I've sung at the top of my lungs, I've danced, it's not moving. And sometimes it just, it helps to pay someone to move that energy off my chest for me. Mm -hmm. Kind of like when you've got a knot in your back and you pay a masseuse to do that. So I started with that. I'm still a big fan of Reiki. I think acupuncture is a cure-all for everything. I also don't understand it. I've used it for physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the effects of acupuncture I noticed well after the session. So not for me, not as powerful in the session. I don't find it that pleasant to be stuck with yeah. needles all over my body. But and is that really what they're doing? Like it's it's needles, and you're like pressure points, or do you know what exactly the like idea behind it is? Um, loosely speaking there's these energetic lines in your body and they're putting a needle into one of the lines to connect to your whatever needs to be fixing and i don't know how they decide what's what you always like sit down Uh and tell tell them what's going on with you Uh uh i know one time the first time i ever had acupuncture i was in sydney and i had injured my foot from running and I couldn't really walk. I had injured my left foot and I just stumbled upon like an acupuncturist slash project manager at the accounting company job I had. And he's like, oh, I can help you out with that. So I went to the studio and he needled the outside of my right hand to help the outside of my left foot. And then I got up from the table and never felt any pain in my foot again. So I don't know how that connected. I've used that for more almost like surface level in terms of spiritual type healing. So like actual physical pain or emotional or things like that. I'm sure I could do it on a deeper spiritual practice, but I'll recommend acupuncture to anyone who's willing to listen to me, even if Mm. you're not spiritual, like it's, it is science-based insurance accepts it. You know, it's more, it's less woo-woo than anything else, but I think it's amazing. I've done a lot of different kind of reading type things like energy readings, soul readings, where they're kind of doing just that, they're reading your energy. I'm not big on like psychic, like predicting my future or anything, but. What's the difference? uh, Well, the only future-based energy person I'm willing to talk to is the woman, Rhea, that I have been working with for years. You told me about her. In Sydney, Yeah. She's always come up like she's reading my impression of this is that she's reading my future energy and connecting with my spirit team to kind of guide her in that. And she'll offer up tidbits of like, I think you'll do, you'll get a new job in this time period. You'll meet so-and-so in this time period or whatever. And she's been pretty dead on, but also with timelines and things like that, you can alter your, the timeline from the present moment. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, that's, she's reading it from based on like where I am 
in a particular moment, I could go off and do something completely different and change my timeline, you know? Yeah. So I appreciate more of, of the actual energy reading. Like, yeah. what can we do in this present moment to heal? Like, what do your guys want you to know? Versus a psychic, which I've never actually gone to a psychic, but my friends have telling you your relationship's going to end on March 16th, 2023 or something like that. Yeah. Or you're going to get a new job. Like, Cause I just, I do believe in like alternating timelines and, and free will and things yeah. like that. So yeah. um, I've never really vibed with that. And then the most profound modality that I've found is somatic therapy, which mm-hmm. I only started in February of 2021 that I went to after eight years of a spiritual practice and healing and things like that, where I had, I had gotten to whatever I was able to personally get to whatever Reiki was going to get. I mean, all those modalities I just said was going to get me to, and I was still feeling stuck that there was something deep, deep down that needed to come out and I couldn't access it. Hmm. And so I started somatic therapy and that has been life-changing. Like I would not be the person I am without it. Like I can confidently say that I wouldn't have healed as quickly from certain things without it. I wouldn't feel the same way with the path that I'm on. It just kind of, it finds, she finds where the energy of trauma and your past experiences, your ancestral line, where that lives in your body and then moves it. And you can talk as much or as little as you want during this. But in terms of my healing is all about moving energy at the end of the day, either reorganizing it, getting rid of it or integrating something back in. Mm-hmm. It's just about moving energy for me. And that I just didn't have the skills or the knowledge to know how to reach certain parts. And, and that modality did. So yeah. That was, yeah. Still the best thing I've ever done. That's sure. interesting. Mm-hmm. So if I'm trying to paraphrase and let me know if, if you think this is wrong, but it's almost like Reiki healing is more about moving the energy around in your body, like your, your chakras in your current manifestation. And then, and then somatic therapy is more about ancestral and past life trauma in a sense. Is, is that accurate? Um, I think your Reiki's, uh synopsis is definitely accurate and somatic therapy could be whatever you need it to be i personally used i used it for a lot of ancestral line healing it's been unbelievably successful in helping sexual assault survivors heal their trauma because Mm. it's an experience that evokes a ptsd like reaction it's difficult to talk about there's still a lot of shame around it And so it's about finding where that energy lives in that person's body and then moving that out in a very safe way without overwhelming the nervous system, without making them have to speak through traumatic things that they don't want to speak about. Mm -hmm. So that is really, that's where it's seen a lot of success. For me, I don't know how to get to my ancestral trauma. Like, <laughs> no, all I knew is I don't feel right. And I don't really have a reason to not given what's going on in my life. Like something's still wrong. And I don't know what or what to do with it. I have lost control of this healing process. So 
it wound up being deep, deep ancestral healing for me. But I, I went there like, help. <laughs> like I didn't say like, hi, I'm here for ancestral trauma healing. Gotcha. Can we get started? I was just like, I know my body and my soul well enough at this point to know that I need help. I've like, yeah. I don't, I'm not able to continue healing because every skill that I have and the resources that I have are not reaching whatever's going on. Yeah. So what's actually happening during the session? So I've only seen one somatic therapist and Uh she is amazing. But in this particular woman's practice, she, I go there. It's a lovely little space, definitely big on the space feeling right. You know, you want to feel connected with the person and where you are. You want to feel safe. And so we go and we sit, we chat, Somewhat just about life, like, how you doing? Like, kind of relax. And then she asks, you know, what would you like to work on today? And I saw her for six months or so, maybe eight months. And so that varied with each session, you know, what I wanted to work on because I was healing and evolving throughout it. Mm-hmm. So we never really went back and did the same thing twice. So we'll talk about that. We really don't need to talk all that much. She's very intuitive. I will say one thing with healers is you make sure you trust them for sure. Mm-hmm. If you're getting any sort of bad vibes, don't try to rationalize it. Just get a new healer. Like this is deeply personal work. You have free will. You're in charge of your path. You're in charge of your healing. That's it. So what this woman does really well is that I'm here for you. You tell me when you feel good. You tell me when you don't feel good. The purpose is never to overwhelm the nervous system or to force a traumatic amount of healing to come through because the body still needs to filter it and sort it and it can get overwhelmed and shut down. So like she was very good at those sorts of things. And then we lay on the, I would lay on the bed and she used any number of practices. I don't even, at least five different modalities, definitely Reiki, cranial massage or something like that. Sound healing, lovely Mm -hmm. Um, guided meditation type things. And she just used her intuition to figure out where the energy lived in my body. And sometimes that that's often started with her kind of assessing my own, my whole body. So like lifting my arm and shaking it a bit, my leg and whatever, and seeing Mm -hmm. like what felt like loose and what felt tight. And then just slowly, slowly, like moving my body in certain ways, even just like pushing my knee up towards my chest or something like that. Or she would like press down on my stomach in one session. And yeah, and then just talking to me the whole time. And a lot of it is like, what do you see? What do you feel? And given my already established spiritual practice, we were able to do a lot of deep work in into other spiritual planes of like, oh, I, I see a lion right now. And then, okay, well, what is that? What is he doing? What's the lion doing? And what do you feel? what is your reaction? Like, is there anything you want to ask him and things like that? And then, yeah, we, and that would allow us to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And then she could pivot her practice too to deepen the healing as well. Wow. Um, yeah. It's amazing. I, I mean, some sessions are like not comfortable, like very, yeah. very uncomfortable, but also I was uncomfortable. I was not, I didn't feel good. And so I'm willing to do, to go through a period of intense discomfort 
if this will just leave my body. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then there would be some sessions that were just like a giant hug the whole time, just clearing the energy, like sorting it out. Yeah. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about it for her. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's really cool to hear that description of, you know, the process, because I've never, you know, heard you walk through that before. And it rings a lot of bells with a lot of the work that they're doing in psychedelics. You know, it's yeah. it's very similar process and strategy. And it's all about confronting the stuff that's painful and mm-hmm. it's going to manifest in, you know, ways that maybe you wouldn't expect in a three-dimensional realm. Right. But right. nonetheless, if it helps people to heal, then we should be trying to find every single possible way we can do it. Right. Yeah. I think um especially the pandemic has been a really interesting period of time because it really took it took away all of our distractions. And I didn't realize how many distractions that I was actually utilizing. I mean, I was well into this healing journey when this pandemic hit, but then all of a sudden it's like okay, I can't go to the Pilates studio anymore. Like I can't travel on a whim. I can't go see my friends. I can't mm-hmm. go to a bar and drink too much. Or like, can't distract like, yeah, there was so much. I didn't realize how much I was, I was really just healing at my own pace and then yeah. not healing when I didn't feel like doing it, if it was too hard that day. And then everything got lifted up coupled with the fact that everything was uncertain. So that's creating anxiety anyway. And I was just like, Oh, I am not good. Like, <laughs> like people would be like, "Are you okay?" They're like, yeah, of course I'm great. How are you? Right. And then, right. like, looking back on it, I was just like, "No, not good. Deeply depressed. I didn't even know what to do with depression. I was just, I was anxious. I was moody. Oh my god, like so up and down, moody. And it was really just my trauma and need for healing and everything just coming up, being like, okay, we've got an outlet now. She has zero distractions." But I didn't know, I didn't have the resources to help myself or to figure out what to do with it because it really just came up all at once. And I definitely am not alone in going through those motions and going through that experience. And as we settled into this, realizing this is not a three month situation. It's not six. It's not a year. At this yeah. point, we're yeah. doing it. It's like, TBD. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely TBD. Um, <laughs> I need some help. And like people are, yeah, I, they went and got help better, uh, better help in talk space are like on the rise. More and more people yeah. are going to therapy. More and more people are trying these, anything just like, oh, I feel terrible and I can't leave my house. How do I feel better? Yeah. So they're more and more willing to try these kind of unconventional things. And then you're, I'm finding a lot more people that are surprising me that have tried Reiki or that are finding. I loved it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's amazing. And same with psychedelics. And then the more traction these things start to get with people outside of the spiritual community, the more credibility that they're, they're starting to get as well. More and more people are kind of getting into that. And I think that's a great space to be in because right. we've all got trauma. Not everyone, you don't need to have trauma with a capital T to have experienced trauma or to have negative, heavy energy living in your body. Your body stored it somehow. It doesn't matter anymore. It's got to come out. It's got to come yeah. out. 
Oh yeah, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, better do it sooner rather than later. It's coming out. <laughs> it just builds if you don't, right? It builds and then it's real confusing when twenty-year-old yeah. stuff starts coming out. <laughs> You're yelling at your sister about a dress she stole in high school. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Dare you take my clogs? Yeah, right. <laughs> my sister really did steal my clogs, but. I saw her. We went to the same high school. We have two hallways. So you mentioned the importance of credibility, right? Mm, Earlier, you dropped a word and said woo woo. And I want (laughs) to get your thoughts on you know, both of those words in particular, but then also just in a broader sense, the whole idea of why has, I don't know, the traditional conventional, I guess, science community been so dismissive of spirituality in the past? And why have, why, why is there this systemic lack of people willing to take the spiritual community seriously? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I will clarify my use of woo-woo. I'm well on the woo-woo side. Like, <laughs> I'm not using it as like a any sort of dis. Why is that a thing that people can use and just automatically everything you say is is invalidated, right? Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I mean, I think to me, when I hear woo-woo, I hear someone dismissing something that doesn't make sense to them. And that's really, I mean, it's such it's kind of like a childish word too. It's like, oh, it's woo-woo. Yeah. Like, you know, and I don't get it. It's, it's woo-woo. I can't speak for the scientific community because I'm definitely not on that side. So I think just with talking to people, especially now that I'm not hiding this side of myself from people that aren't necessarily on my on the woo-woo side of things. Um I think it's sometimes it comes down to just there's not there's nothing tangible to support this at all. I mean, even on the whatever I know about quantum physics that I got from you, probably, (laughs) is that there seems to be like a, a philosophy kind of side of quantum physics or that we understand something's here. We acknowledge that something's here. We don't know why it doesn't make doesn't make scientific sense but based on what we've got now in terms of science and and i think that's difficult to understand yeah i think it's it's difficult to wrap your brain around something that like you know to be true but you can't prove it to anybody else Mm -hmm. and that kind of is where that leads to it has led to me not being as open about certain things like throwing the prefacing everything was this is kind of weird I don't know maybe I'm crazy yeah I think it's just it takes a lot of breaking down of your your conventional knowledge and what's been taught to us our entire lives and growing up through the 90s which is well before anyone was even talking about mental health or anything like that like we didn't have the internet like we you know we didn't have access to information the way that people do kids do now and yeah I mean maybe it's just easier for people just dismiss what doesn't make sense or yeah 
it doesn't fit their spiritual toolbox or whatever their toolbox is going to be their, whatever you want to call it, your intuition toolbox, your, I don't know, coincidence toolbox or something. <laughs> like, I don't know if it doesn't fit, like, that's cool. Like people are welcome to be atheists and people are welcome to just dismiss all of this. I mean, gotta yeah. be kind and respectful to humans, but of course. if it's not your cup of tea, cool. Don't, don't drink it. I love that. Well, and then, you know, I think it's, uh, it, almost brings the conversation to the topic of this podcast or sorry, the title of this podcast. Right. So entangled. What was the idea behind that? Mm. So the background of it is that you had attended a Gaia sphere event with Mm -hmm. who again? Bruce Lipton. Bruce Lipton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, you were explaining to me the concept of entanglement, which yeah. I won't be able to explain. It would, probably, <laughs> it would probably benefit people for you to explain it. So you explain things really well. And kind of just this, we had talked a lot. You were falling on the more science-y side of, mm-hmm. of this spiritual conversation on the quantum side. I'm, I'm well off in left field. I don't know. There's nothing really. <laughs> I didn't think there was anything supporting what I was doing. And then we kind of just got to talking and realized like, hey, like we're actually saying a lot of the same things here. And wait, the scientific community is backing that one? Like that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so kind of just the the idea that it's not that different. Like you can you can box up these these religions and science practices and spiritual practices, whatever. But at the end of the day, the foundation and a lot of the things are the same. They're just using different words to describe it. Yep, exactly. No, I think that was beautifully put. And to expand on that, you know, I think a lot of the scientific community that we see that is doing work on consciousness and spirituality, that again, it is all the same thing, but part of the problem and why I wanted to highlight this whole woo-woo dismissiveness Mm -hmm. approach to things is, you know, that also permeates the scientific community, right? So even the folks like Bruce Lipton, who have very sophisticated credentialed backgrounds, right? He came from uh, traditional cellular biology. He was one of the first people to work on stem cells back in the 60s. And he said, hey, guys, you know, the whole concept of you take a stem cell and you put it in three different culture mediums, right? So in, in your body, a culture medium would be like blood, right? But what he said was, if you can take the exact same stem cell and put it in a different culture medium, some turned to bone, some turned to fat and some turned to protein, right? And why this is really important is because he's saying that it's not your genes that determine what develops at the cellular level, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, the gene culture, right? And so epigenetics is all part of what I'll call like the new age biological movement that's saying, hey guys, what you're thinking is much more important than what your genes were when you're born, right? And so that's important because if you're thinking about stress all the time, you're signaling stress hormones, you're then signaling the genes in your DNA that are causing negative reactions, right? You're living in a state of survival when you should be living in a state of thriving and of creation when you're in a more calm and meditative state overall. 
Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was a tangent that I didn't mean to go I, down. But <laughs> I think I think it's a good tangent because yeah. when you have a child, that child's getting passed down your gene expression. At least this is my understanding of epigenetics. And so kids are, which the good news is the kid can just, it can it may get the gene to express a different way, but through nurture and nature and all that. But that is the first overlap that I noticed with science and the spiritual community is that that's just essentially on my shamanic healing side of things is healing ancestral trauma. It's like, I don't know why I feel the way I feel or something or other, or something's going on, but kind of the idea of ancestral healing is just your, from your line, ancestral line down, trauma has been passed on and on and on. And they're not talking about gene expression. They're talking about energy and those kind of, that kind of realm, but it's just getting passed down. So in terms of like the feminine line, your great grandmother, grandmother, mother, you, daughter, so on and so forth. Yeah. So the youngest one is kind of, has the opportunity to start clearing it all the way back up. From an epigenetic standpoint, the kid has the opportunity to then, yeah, maybe they were, had gotten handed down genes in a survival kind of, kind of expression, but there is an opportunity to turn that around mm-hmm. and get the genes to express in a different way. Yeah, I love the epigenetics topic. (laughs) It's fascinating. Yeah. The reason I brought up Lipton in the first place was with regards to quantum entanglement, right? And so I think it is uh, a concept that I find really fascinating, but it's basically a a property, you know, I'm going to butcher the actual explanation, but my understanding is it's a property you see with with waves, right? With like waves of frequency, of, of energy, where two waves that are of that are coherent when they come together they're entangled and they actually produce a larger um resulting wave right mm-hmm. but it's also a property at the subatomic level where particles that have been connected previously can continue to be even when they're not connected um materially right so it's it's a concept that einstein hated it he called it spooky action at a distance but um what the science of consciousness community would say is that it all relates to the unified field of consciousness right that at the very bottom of our existence we are all unified and entangled that all matter is actually just a manifestation of one singularity of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, the whole point of the title is to say, hey, this is us bringing together both the spiritual communities and the scientific communities and saying we need to recognize that, number one, there is science that supports exactly what the spiritual community has been telling us for millennia, but we're not listening to it. And number two, mm-hmm we need to recognize that at the core, regardless of your spiritual practice, we are all the same. We are all one. And that is what we need to recognize and remember. Yeah. I think what's interesting about Bruce Lipton and and Joe Dispenza as well, because he has similar background is that they're both conscious of the audience. Yeah, They've got like, they have a goal in mind and they fall on both ends of the spiritual and science spectrum. 
But if they're in a room full of doctors, they're not going to start talking about transcendental moments. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. they're going to get the science to support the transcendental moments, but they're not going to, they're very careful on the words that they're using. And even with Joe Dispenza's books, like my, my dad is reading one of Joe Dispenza's books, like breaking the habit of being yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading super becoming supernatural. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. So I'm like, how do I get into the quantum field? What can I do there? And then his work is around getting your genes to express in a different way. And in cancer patients, healing themselves. And he has stories of celiacs getting the gene expression to turn off so they don't have to be so strict with their diet. So his practice is like the mindfulness piece of of reversing some epigenetic type things or gene expression Mm -hmm. or, you know, illness, sickness in the body. But they're both very, they're very careful because they know that they can reach people using different words. Yeah. So they, yes. they, they read their audience and then they, they use the words that resonate with the audience, but the message is the same across the board, which is, it's cool to see a couple individuals do that to navigate that. Like I'm going to post up on my side. Like I definitely can't speak to the science side. I'm interested in it, but yeah, it, it's cool to watch them do that and explain how they're doing it too. Yeah. It's, um, it's an exciting time, you know, it's, um, it goes to show the importance of the mental roadblocks, right. In in the spiritual awakening process, in the sense that people tend to just keep getting trapped at one point or get hung up on one little thing that lets them say, okay, I'm going to find this way to convince myself that the spiritual world doesn't exist, that it's just this three-dimensional realm. Right. And so I think it's, it'd be good to quickly give my kind of spiritual background. Yeah. To- how you were so amazing and instrumental in my oh, awakening path. <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so yeah, I think you should share. Earlier this year, you know, I had a, a series of events that altered the path of my life. So, cause I, you know, was always grew up as one of those people who just totally rejected anything spirituality. I thought it was woo woo. like. And so, you know, I was never very religious, although I certainly had had some like spiritual moments for sure. And, you know, I was getting more into meditation and that kind of thing. And like had always had a lot of interest in consciousness and, you know, what is my life's purpose, right? And then last few years, since a lot of this new psychedelics research has been coming out, I've been more open to experimenting with them and learning about, you know, what the cap- what those, what those substances are actually showing us. And so it had some pretty great experiences on those, but I'd say nothing that connected the dots for me in the full manner that enabled me to kind of give up those preconceived, preconceived reluctance to accept the spiritual community. Mm-hmm. But then I had, you know, earlier this year, I came across a documentary called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind which gets into a lot of wild stuff, but was also my first introduction to the unified field of consciousness theory. And that was something that I think was really what, what ignited my spiritual awakening because it, for the first time presented a full picture of the nature, the truer nature of reality and explained it in a way that makes sense with where our current understanding is in quant- of quantum physics. And that. I'd experientially 
had glimpses into during some of those occasions with psychedelics and when I'd been, you know, really deeply, truly exploring purpose and, and consciousness. And then a couple of weeks later, I was, I experimented with some LSD. I took a higher dosage than I'd ever taken before that day. I'd been reading about the holographic universe. Wasn't expecting to have like a transcendental experience or anything was really just trying to explore this concept of reality. And I had this full on transcendental experience. You know, I, I was connected to a higher plane of consciousness that all of my fears were totally unfounded because the entire universe is love that even time is just a man-made construct that, that, that there's this higher, truer reality that is, is behind it all. It's, it's almost the same kind of concept of, of the veil, which I believe a lot of, you know, native American traditions believe, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was part of, I think what, has been so transformative for me in the period ever since is that, you know, the more I've learned about spirituality and, and ancient practices and philosophy and religion and what, you know, the, what these ancient spiritual leaders have been saying, it's everyone's say, been saying the same thing. It's just that they're using different language and different words. And there's often been people, mostly men who create institutions and who have oftentimes turned those words against their original intentions and used to consolidate power and created power structures that have not been to the benefit of any of the people. But if you look at the core message of what spirituality is trying to say, it fits entirely with this theory of the unified field of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most beautifully put. Thanks. <laughs> Even that, I mean, it's really hard to, you know, come online and, you know, on a hot mic and say all that, right? Like it's, right. Mm -hmm. it's something I definitely believe in. And I think that there's so much evidence to back it up that you at least have to take some of the elements of it seriously. Right. And for me, it's been the, you know, the ability to see the benefits experientially, right? Like since I've been trying Reiki healing and close encounter five protocols and experimenting mm -hmm. with different ways of higher consciousness. Transcendental meditation has been huge for me. Mm -hmm. I, I, everything has only continued to support that idea. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think, um, you come at things with a, a questioning mind, a logical mind. And so to me, I mean, the Close Encounter documentary, or documentary, I just had a Northeast accent, <laughs> documentary, <laughs> um, is not a rabbit hole that I would normally be inclined to go down, sure. but one of my most logical, rational people in my life is telling me to go watch this documentary about contacting aliens and that it was had such a profound impact on your life that it made me be like, all right, well, if if Jordan's buying this and there's something here, like I, I'm, I'm curious enough to at least like watch this and see what's up. You know, it's only a couple hours of my life anyway, but that's kind of what got me further down a quantum rabbit hole mm -hmm. and what got these conversations started and things like that. And that that's kind of 
like going back to what I was saying earlier, the more people, logical, rational people that are trying out these these modalities and spiritual practices and things like that, the more it's going to encourage other logical, rational people to be like, well, wait a second. I trust that person. Yeah, absolutely. They got both their feet on the ground. Maybe there is something to this. And I I really hope that that continues to, to snowball because it's yeah. really just at the end of the day, it's elevating consciousness. It's clearing trauma. It's bringing everyone into the present moment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. encouraging mindfulness, all good things. Yep. It's all good things. And I think you're seeing the power of compounding, right? Of how, mm-hmm. you know, you see that on the negative side with pandemics, how exponential growth can happen on the negative, but it also works to the positive, right? And I think right. yeah. more people bring spirituality and consciousness into their lives, the faster it's going to accelerate for everyone else. Right. Yeah. This is very true. And we all have access to information. The internet can yep. give you whatever you need. I mean, there's shamanic yep. guided meditations on YouTube for free. And also rabbit hole quantum theory documentaries that I went down when I was trying to understand <laughs> what you were talking about. <laughs> like, I will talk to you. I love you. Watch this 15 minute synopsis video for the background. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> well, Annie, this has been awesome. Before I let you go, there was one more topic I wanted to touch on. You talked about trauma with a capital T, and I'm curious mm-hmm. if you could explain what you mean by that and what specifically what a capital T trauma means. Sure. So I think trauma with a capital T is kind of what you would think of trauma to begin with. So a war, abuse, sexual assault, things that are horrible. I think obviously that kind of trauma needs a lot of healing. What has come up is that trauma is still trauma, even if it's not trauma with a capital T. So whether it's neglect that you experience at, at a period of your life or volatility in your developmental years or things like that, and it's okay. Yeah. You survived it. Like you have, you're in one piece, you have no bruises, but it still affected you in a certain way and lives in your body in a certain way. And especially with certain kinds of like emotional abuse or things like that, where I've heard a lot of people, I've done it myself, kind of dismiss it of like, oh, well, my life could be worse. Things could be worse. Mm-hmm. So suck it up buttercup like you're fine like your life's not that bad but okay yeah things can be worse but they also could have been better so really like taking a step back and looking at your present moment and your own life and where your past experiences are living in your body and coming at them in a similar way and with the same kind of tenacity to heal and not worrying that okay yeah think people have a lot worse lives definitely but that's not to say that you should ignore what you're feeling like you still have a right to heal what's going on within within you as well for yourself for your future relationships for your current relationships yeah I think I've heard a lot of people kind of say that when they're talking to me and it makes me sad like okay but you are sad like you you've said that you're sad you said you're angry and that's fair. 
you're feeling something for a reason and it's an opportunity to heal, to let it go. It doesn't matter that, that it wasn't a trauma with the capital T. It's still affecting you clearly. Yeah. And it gets back to the earlier part of our conversation, right. Of talking about healing and Mm -hmm. why that's so important and that why it's so great that I think we're finally at a time where people are taking a second look at what they've considered as acceptable ways to heal themselves. Right. And not just, Hey, maybe instead of just getting more prescription pills, let's look at some of these alternative quote unquote modalities that are showing fantastic results for people all across the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also removing the stigma from the words, anxiety and depression. And that was something I was guilty of, or I'd just be like, oh, I'm really shaky today, or I'm in a funk or something. And like, I'm essentially admitting to what I'm feeling. I'm feeling anxiety and depression, but I didn't want to put those words around it. And even said at the beginning of the podcast, like with the pandemic, like I was deeply depressed when it started, but I did not have the word to use it. So I was like, no, I can still get out of bed though. So that must mean I'm not depressed. Okay. Well, I get out of bed and I don't feel anything. So like, that's not, that's not normal. And it kind of took me a long, took me a long time. And I had come to terms with the word anxiety and panic attacks. And I had been comfortable in that being like, okay. Yeah. I had a panic attack and shit. It was really shitty. I'm fine today. But yeah, I had a hard time with that word. And it took me like a little bit to be like, oh yeah, I definitely struggled with depression for a period of time yeah so a lot of people and really like a lot of people struggle with anxiety a lot of people whether it's an ongoing thing or situational and it passed yeah um, i think the better question is is there anyone who hasn't ever suffered with i really don't believe it if they say they haven't exactly right like (laughs) no way yeah i'm like how though like yeah i just it's so common and it used to be seen or i I mean, I feel like it was seen as a kind of a sign of weakness yeah. in different countries. It's not talked about as heavily. I mean, the West coast is like, especially the Pacific Northwest is all in on the mental health front. So now I'm in this bubble where it's being used freely all the time, but not as common to talk about in the Northeast or it wasn't different countries handled differently. And then just even just a decade back, two decades back, like this was not being talked about. So I think that's helpful to remove that stigma give people the freedom to feel whatever they're feeling and not feel shame associated with that and remove those roadblocks to be able to pursue whatever's working and hopefully in a supportive environment, even if you are choosing a a quote unquote woo woo path. I mean, at the end of the day, you just want to feel good. Yep. That's awesome. And I think that is the perfect place to end removing stigmas (laughs) and feeling good. Yeah, let's all feel good. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, thanks so much, Annie. This has been a blast. Yeah, thanks Thank so much you, for Jordan. coming on. I'm super happy to do this. This was really fun. I'll see you later. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope at the least you found the conversation thought-provoking. 
And as someone who is completely unqualified to explain the definition of entanglement, I'll leave you with someone who actually is. This is Greg Braden's explanation from the documentary Heal. Entanglement is the term in physics that tells us once something has been unified, once something begins as a whole, even though it is separated physically by many miles or light years, energetically everything is still connected. Why is that important? Because if we go back far enough in time, there is a point in time when you, me, and the earth were all connected, before what is called the Big Bang, the big release of energy. When that happened physically, particles began to separate energetically. The particles remain connected. We are part of this earth, and we are part of one another. And that empowers you, and it empowers me to participate in the healing of our bodies and those of our loved ones in ways that science is only beginning to understand. The idea that Annie's story sparked is that maybe we all have entangled both a spiritual being and a scientist. That all of us are looking for the truth, and we're also curious. Curious about what happens next. Is there a next? Why are we here? Why are we now? Who am I? What if our intuition listened to our inner scientist, and our inner scientist returned the favor? Then what might we learn?